Hi, my name is Nathan, and I'm a sinner. <laughs> some of you, for whom, for whom some of you that's familiar, you go and sit in church basements or other rooms on folding chairs, and you begin AA meetings in a similar way. You say, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic, or some say I'm a recovering alcoholic. I actually really like the way that introduces a person and and bonds people in community because it's an honest opening statement. Maybe we should start doing that as we come into church saying, hi, I'm Nathan, I'm a sinner, or I'm a recovering sinner, and you could greet me in the same way. At least we would be starting off on an honest foot in our relationship with one another. Because what that would mean if we were aware of our own sin, even in greeting one another, we would understand what we're doing when we gather in God's church. We are coming to our Savior, the one who saves us, the one who forgives our sins. Today we have just a, a one-off special sermon between two sermon series, and it's called Mercy, and it's got this wonderful line from 1 Timothy that we're going to look at today where it says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the Alcoholics Anonymous opening statement of I'm an alcoholic or I'm a sinner puts us in an honest place with one another in a place where we realize that we need salvation. I love the way Bill W., who wrote Alcoholics Anonymous and who founded AA, I love the way he describes in this book, Alcoholics Anonymous, what it's like to be a member of AA. He says this, we are like the passengers of a great liner. The moment after rescue from shipwreck, when camaraderie, joyousness, and democracy pervade the vessel from steerage to captain's table, our joy in escape from disaster does not subside as we go our individual ways. The feeling of having shared a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. This could be a statement about the church. We are the ones who realize we've been saved from peril. We've been saved from the consequences of our sin. So hi, I'm Nathan, and I'm a sinner. That's when you say, hi, Nathan. Very good. Very good. Let's be honest with each other about our need for salvation. This is exactly what Paul does in this letter to Timothy. Real quick background, the Apostle Paul, the very same one we've been tracking over the last several chapters of the book of Acts. Well, as I mentioned last Sunday, he spends most of the rest of his life in jail. And from jail, he writes many letters. It really is what makes our New Testament what it is, is Paul's letters from jail. And he's written one letter to a young minister named Timothy. Timothy was established as the local pastor in the church of Ephesus. You know, Ephesians, the New Testament epistle. Well, Timothy was the local pastor that Paul basically installed there. An older Paul now was writing to younger Timothy, giving him wisdom on how to run the church. And he gets into some personal things that he would share with Timothy, including the words that we read today. Look at Paul's honesty with me. This is 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 and 13. Look at Paul's introduction and his honesty when he writes to Timothy. 
I thank him who has given me strength. This is verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Hi, I'm Paul, an insolent opponent. You see just his honesty about his own past, about his own sin? This is pretty amazing because Paul knew that when he wrote these letters, he knew they were going to be public documents. This isn't one personal note to another person that would be not shared with anybody. Paul knew this would be read publicly by Timothy to his congregation. I don't know if Paul knew billions of people were going to read it then over history, but he knew it was going to be public, and he just comes out with an honest assessment. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Imagine if we were so honest publicly with our own sins. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I tend to be a little self-righteous. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I fall into sexual temptation. Hi, I'm so-and-so. I can be a real jerk to my spouse. We don't normally do that, right? And maybe there's good reason. But one of the reasons that's not good, that we never share our sins, we never share what's going on in here, is because, frankly, we have trust issues in the workplace or in social parties or even in the church. Sometimes we don't want to lead with what's wrong with us because we fear that the person we share it with might use that against us, right? We don't know if we can trust who we're sharing this with to say, let me, let me help you with that. Instead, they might use it against us. So we often don't share what we're really feeling inside, what's going on inside our hearts and in our lives of sin. And sometimes we also don't really share that stuff with God. We have reasons not to share it with one another, but sometimes we also don't share it with God. We don't go to God and say, God, I am a sinner in need of your salvation. And maybe one of the reasons for that is we don't know if he's really going to be trustworthy with that information either. We don't know how he, God's going to respond. Maybe we grew up in churches where God was always disappointed in us or God was always ready to discipline us or God was just kind of ready to send us to hell if we told them what our sins were. I know some of you grew up in church environments like that. But look at how God responded to Paul when Paul brought his sinfulness before God. Let's pick it up halfway through verse 13 where we left off. Uh, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. Because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God's grace overflowed. I want to just focus on that word for just a moment. That God's grace overflows for us. When we are honest with him, when we share with God what's going on in here, our pains, our struggles, our sins, the ways we've lived in, 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 in the reality of a broken world and not responded righteously, when we share that with God, his grace overflows into our lives. 
there's not some meager, stingy portion of grace that he maybe will dole out for us. When I was focusing on this word this week and studying this passage, I was remembering that old play. Do you remember Oliver Twist? Anyone remember Oliver? Oliver's an orphan in an orphanage, and he gets his little bowl of slop, and there's not much in there, and he's still hungry when the portion is gone. And he walks up to the head table where the orphan masters are, and remember what he says? More, please? Yeah. There you go. And he is chastised for that. And he goes back hungry. Some of us have a view of God that's like that. Where if we go to God and we say, God, I, I, I need some forgiveness, I need some grace, I need some help here. We think God will send us away hungry or wanting. But look at this. His grace overflows for sinners like us. He is generous in forgiving us, in giving us mercy, in giving us grace. We don't have to fear exposing our sin before God. In fact, that's why he came. It's to come and forgive us, to make a path for us that his grace might overflow into our lives. It's what it says right here in verse 15. Here's like a mission statement of Jesus. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world for this very reason, to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the chief sinner, Paul says. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save people like me. It's interesting to me, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. It's, it's easy to forget that the early church, those people who gathered in places like Ephesus and Corinth, they didn't have a nice bound Bible like we have. They had the Old Testament scrolls, but then when the New Testament was being formed, they had the oral tradition. Things were passed around verbally. So there were things like sayings. And this was apparently one of the sayings that the early church used. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. I'm picturing them coming into their house church living rooms and saying that to one another. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And maybe the other person turned in response and said, of whom I'm the foremost. Isn't that a great way to begin a church meeting? Somebody touch your neighbor right now and say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Go ahead. Okay, now we're going to do that again, but we're going to be a little more honest. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. Go ahead. I think I, just saw, I think I just saw a married couple break out into an argument. I'm the foremost. No, you're the foremost. I do love the honesty of that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And, you know, not all of us can be the foremost, obviously, but to, but to say, I need it as much as anybody else. That's an honest place 
to begin. I like this approach, I like this posture before God because there's lots of ways we can start thinking about why Jesus came that are wrong. There's lots of different ways we can think about why Jesus came that aren't right. This happens all over the place. I remember when I was young, I kind of had this understanding that Jesus Christ came into the world to be my moral example. Remember those WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Okay, Jesus Christ came into the world to show me what I should do in any situation. My moral example, you see. That's not chiefly why he came into the world. He is a good moral example, but that's not chiefly why he came in to the world. He came into the world to save us. Not just so that we could think, what would he do in this situation? And I grew a little bit older and I thought, oh, God is in my life as my companion. Remember those bumper stickers that said, God is my co-pilot? Well, that would assume that Christ Jesus came into the world just to sit alongside me, to be my companion everywhere I go, maybe to offer counsel if I need it or when I need it. He didn't chiefly come into the world just to be my moral example or to be my co-pilot. And he especially didn't come into the world, he didn't come into our lives just to be our life coach either. This is kind of the latest iteration of this. I don't see people wearing WWJD bracelets anymore. I don't see the God is my co-pilot bumper sticker as much anymore. But I do see this book title all over the place in airports and bookstores where it says, Your Best Life Now. Have you seen this? This is basically thinking that God is my co-pilot. I mean, is my um, life coach. That he comes into my life so that I can live my best life now. Jesus Christ came into your life, came into our church, came into the world to save us. Not just to be our moral example. Not just to be our co-pilot. Not even to be our life coach. It's an interesting book by Michael Horton called Christless Christianity. It's basically a diagnosis of the American church in some aspects where we've kind of lost this key understanding of why Jesus came. And Michael Horton says this, it's easy to become distracted from Christ as the only hope for sinners, where everything is measured by our happiness rather than God's holiness. The sense of our being sinners becomes secondary, if not offensive. If we are good people who've lost our way but with proper instructions and motivation can become a better person, we only need a life coach, not a redeemer. So think about this. Why did Jesus Christ come into the world? Why did Jesus Christ come into your life? Not just so you can be a better person making moral decisions. Not just so that you can have a companion by your side. Not just so that you can live your best life now. But to save you. To save us from our sins. The Bill W. quote I started the sermon with from Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're paying attention to our sermons this summer, it might have sounded familiar. He painted this picture of belonging to AA, kind of like being a survivor of a shipwreck with joy in your heart that you've been saved. You remember the text we looked at a couple of Sundays ago where the Apostle Paul and his companions were in a shipwreck and all they had to get safely home was a plank of wood to cling on to. 
And we discovered through the word that we are the same, that we have a piece of wood called the cross that we cling to to bring us safely home. It's our only hope in a broken world. And I preached that sermon two Sundays ago, and somebody came up to me after the service, a man from the congregation, and he said, you know, that, that whole concept of us clinging on to those planks of wood and clinging on to God's grace, he said, that's pretty different than what the preacher on TV says. He said, it's kind of the opposite. And I said, yeah, it's very different than what the preacher on TV says. A lot of the preachers on TV don't start with the reality that we are sinners in need of salvation. They start with this reality Michael Horton pointed out. We're basically good people who need some instruction to be a little bit better. And if that's our starting point, we will despair. Because who among us can live up to those standards? Only one, and that's Jesus, our Savior. The one who came into the world to save sinners like us. You might still be sitting there thinking, but why should we dwell on our sin? Isn't it better to not talk about it, just to kind of wish it wasn't there? You know, the, the Catholic Church I grew up with beat, beat me over the knuckles with it. Why do we have to dwell on our sin? And it's for this reason that when we do, we don't stay dwelling on our own sin. We shift our focus, we shift our attention to the one who saves us, who forgives us. That's exactly what Paul does here in verse 16. After he says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. Verse 16 says, But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That Jesus might display. See what happens here in the text is Paul takes the spotlight and it's focusing on his own sin. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. And he takes the spotlight and he shifts it right onto the mercy, the overflowing mercy and grace of Jesus. That in me, Christ Jesus might display or showcase his perfect patience. That's why we dwell briefly on our own sin is so that the forgiveness and compassion and grace and mercy and loving kindness of our Savior might be on display for the whole world. It's why we sang that song a few minutes ago. Do you have pain? He's a pain taker. Do you feel lost? He's a way maker. You see, each, each one shifts to the one who brings the remedy. Do you need freedom or saving? He's a prison-shaking savior. Do you got chains? He's a chain breaker. That's why we look at our own sin. That's why we say, hi, my name is Nathan. I'm a sinner. So that I can say, I have a savior. Let me tell you about him. This is our witness. Our honest, authentic witness in the world. When we live this way, when we, when we say, I'm a sinner who has a Savior, let me tell you about him. Well, we'll just break out into praise and worship more often. That's exactly what Paul does. Verse 17, after he shifts the spotlight, when he says that his perfect patience might be displayed, verse 17 comes right after that. Paul says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
It's an interesting place for Paul to put a doxology. Normally that type of sentence concludes his letters. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. That's a good way to like close up a letter or a sermon or a prayer. But Paul just breaks out into doxology in his first chapter to this letter to Timothy. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, he shifts the spotlight off of his own sin onto the displaying of God's perfect patience and kindness and mercy. And he breaks out into praise. This is what our lives will look like if we begin with honesty. If we begin with our need. If we turn to our friends and say, I need help. Or if we have a friend who we see is in pain, we say, come on, let's go to the pain taker together. Let's go to the way maker together. Let's go to the one who breaks these chains. But if all we're doing is displaying our own righteousness, then we'll have nothing to offer those who are in pain around us. Instead, I'll just, say, I'll just say, you should clean up your act like mine is cleaned up. And that's not very helpful. We go to the Savior together. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I'm the foremost. And so are you. Awareness like that, focusing briefly on the depravity of our souls allows us to praise the perfectness of our Savior more. Do you want more praise in your life? Do you want more joy in your life? Then go deeper in honesty about your own stuff and bring it to the Savior. I believe that there's a direct correlation between the honesty that we present before God of our own sin and the joy we feel in understanding what he's done for us to save us. So why did Jesus Christ come? Why did he come into this world? Why is he in this church? Why is he in your life? To save you. It shifts your prayer just a little bit. The next time you're in a situation, if you have trouble in your marriage or in your workplace or with your children, say, Lord Jesus, will you come rescue us from this? Will you come save? Will you come be our Savior? Not just a moral example, not just a companion, not just a life coach. Save us, Lord. We need it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the foremost. Amen.